A bad bitch takes charge of her body, her boundaries, and her bank account. Welcome back, bad bitches. Today, I'm here with Jalak Jabinputra. She is the founder and managing partner of Future Perfect Ventures, an early-stage venture capital fund investing in crypto assets and blockchain technology. She's been a venture capitalist for over two decades, and she started investing in blockchain in 2013, way before it was cool. And she's been awarded Institutional Investors' Most Powerful Fintech Dealmakers, Microsoft's VC Trailblazer and named as one of the top five investors powering the blockchain boom. She's invested in over 50 companies and is now investing out of her $60 million fund. Jalak, welcome to the Bad Bitch Empire. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. All right. So before we get into your prolific investing career and talk about starting your own fund, investing in crypto, I want to go back to the beginning. You grew up in Nairobi, Kenya, to parents of Indian descent, and you were a ballerina, a very strict dancer growing up, very serious in that sport. How did good girl brainwashing influence you and how did you eventually break out of that to become the bad bitch you are today? Look, when I grew up, I grew up in a, after we came to the U.S., um, in a very kind of non-diverse um, environment, uh, a small town in rural New Jersey. I had these two cultures that were completely different, that had its own expectations of what girls did, the way girls behaved, the way girls looked. And this is in the 1970s. And it was the world of Farrah Fawcett. And, you know, there was nobody that looked like me where I grew up. And, and so, you know, this constant, um, you have to look a certain way, or boys are only going to be interested in you if you act a certain way. Um, it, It was all these layers of expectations from two different cultures and, and um, Indian culture. And, and I am very lucky that my parents are, are quite liberal, but there's still an expectation that, you know, the, the girl is, is the one who takes care of uh, the house. The woman takes care of the house, the man goes and works. And, um, and I think we're still in that kind of society now. I mean, I see it you know, even amongst my friends. And we've talked about this where I really hope things start to change because these expectations of, of women are, are just um, so different than our expectations of men in society. And women have to juggle so much more. And and so I would say it's not only that that good girl, but it's just the, the kind of doing everything. I mean, we often hear that behind every successful Man, there's a woman. Uh, most species I've worked for, uh, with, and and for have had a woman at home. Um, you know that has taken care of the house and taking care while they're able to go up, go out and and um, you know focus on their work. So, I I have um, you know learned over time that uh, we we really need to break out of those expectations, and we expect way too way more from women than, than, uh, than men, more from girls than, than boys. And it comes from, you know, even raising my hand in class, right? Um, it was, um, I always thought through it, should I say this? I don't know what it's going to come out like and what people are going to think. It's this constant overthinking, whereas 
you know, all through childhood, all through college. And even to this day, I see it with some younger women. It's like just overthinking it. And, and instead of like contributing and, and often, you know, what we say and our experiences, you know, are, are far beyond um, some of the male colleagues around us. When did you get to a point where you felt like you had enough confidence to really trust the things that you were saying or trust that what you would say would have weight? Well, it's, it's been a long process. Um, I once worked uh, for a um, wonderful man at Intel Capital uh, out in Silicon Valley. And this was in 99 when you know, Silicon Valley was um, uh, this epicenter of technology. Uh, but he once he once noticed that I hesitate a lot um, in in speaking up, or I'll wait and I'll listen maybe a little bit too much before contributing. And and he said, "I've never heard you say anything dumb." And and by the way, even if I did, it's okay because plenty of people you know go through that. But but you know he, he said you know you need to feel like you can speak up or you need to make yourself do that if you want to be successful and that that really stuck stuck out at me is like you know this is going to hold me back from achieving what i want to achieve and what i want to achieve is impact in the world and so i tied it very much to okay my goal is to use investments and and um, you know the opportunity to grow businesses um, as a way to have positive impact in the world. And if, if there are th- parts of my personality and my upbringing and society's expectations that are holding me back, that is not a good thing for the world. I, I knew, you know, it's that having that confidence that I know I can contribute to the world and I should not hold myself back from that. And, and so that was um, about 20 years ago. Uh, that conversation, but it, it's an ongoing process. I, when I started my fund, there are very few women who started their own funds. Um, this was 10 years ago. I mean, this is still the case. Um, people, you know, told me, you know, be careful about what you say. You're investing in Bitcoin and, you know, it's not a thing that women usually invest in. And, and so it's this constant constant battle to remind myself that whatever people say and whatever their reactions are, it's, it's a reflection of them and society and the way they've been raised and their experiences. It has nothing to do with my capabilities. Absolutely. And I think that is the the mental strength that we have to cultivate that allows us to become successful, to break barriers. And I've had my own process as well of going through that. And really, I mean, even when you think of the bad bitch empire, right, it's even taking a word that has traditionally been used to weaponize a woman's power. You know, anytime she's assertive or strong, she's called a bitch. And it's actually like, okay, no, we're reclaiming that word because we are reclaiming our power. And it doesn't matter matter if you think that or not. It's actually, you know, exactly what you said, a reflection of how they see themselves or their own judgments. And I also love what you said about that realization of your confidence to change the world or like the impact you wanted to make. And I call this the enoughness moment because we so many of us walk around being like, I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not smart enough. I can't do it. Um, But the enoughness moment is that moment where you realize that it's not about you anymore. You know, the, the moment you realize that your 
by focusing on your own insecurities, that's actually the most selfish thing you can do, right? You collapse your world. But then when you realize, okay, no, I can reach that enoughness moment. I am enough because I have so many gifts to share. And it's actually, I would be robbing the world of the gifts that I have to offer if I don't speak up, if I don't take that action, I don't move forward with the dream that I have in my mind. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love how you framed all of this. It's it's a hundred percent true, and and it it's really flipping around uh, what we've been taught and the way we've been taught to think. Right. Um, I was always in male dominated environments, and I was always told, you know, you need to change this about your communication, or you smile too much, or you know, uh, you look too young. Maybe you know, wear glasses to look more serious. I mean, the amount of things I heard, which I guarantee no male colleague ever had to uh, listen to, um, those were all reflections of, of, you know, people around me who didn't know anything else other than this one archetype that they saw succeed. And, and this is why I think what you're doing and, and showing visibility of, of, you know, we do have power and, and, and we, you know, we don't need to be empowered. It's about reclaiming our power and understanding that it's inherent and so powerful. Um, you know, the, and, and, and this doesn't mean that we don't, you know, strive to be better. I'm always learning. I, I don't claim to know everything. And that's one of the things I love about what I do. I'm constantly learning new things. I'm learning from mentors. I'm learning from younger folks that, you know, work for me. And and so, you know, I think it's important to keep an open mind, but you're only able to do that when you are secure with the knowledge that you have or who you are. Exactly. And I mean, it's just so much unsolicited feedback. And it, it's so hard sometimes to, to decouple what's true and good feedback versus just what like someone's random opinion. Yes. And that's why it's so important to surround yourself uh, with people you've known for a while who are really true friends, right? Um, who And, and uh, I just turned 50. And I had this, you know, amazing gathering of, of folks that mostly I'd known for the last 30 years, and, and some newer folks um, in the mix. But there was something so powerful around, the, you know, before we did anything, you know, we were just striving, we had ambitions, goals, we, we've had a lot of things that have come at us over the years and we've survived and we've thrived and we've supported each other. And, and, um, and so I, I think it's really important to have those people around you to do that gut check. Um, and, and so you can improve what, what you need to improve, but you're not clouding, you know, your, your mind with all this other stuff, like being called a bitch or being called too aggressive or, you know, uh, not being likable. I mean, you know, my friends like me, I'm a good person. And, you know, yeah, the guy I'm negotiating with may call me a bitch because I'm just really good at negotiating and that should be a compliment. Exactly. What is the, like, what are some of the things you look for in terms of the people you surround yourself with, whether that's values or personality traits, because obviously as you become more successful, there's more people who want things from you. And how do you, how do you separate that out? Yes. I I think that that is so important to do. And this is where I see a lot of people 
fall um, prey to people who want things from them and, and aren't really thinking about, you know, does this, is this person genuine? Do they really care about me? Um, and, and, you know, ethic, ethics is just paramount to me. Um, and, you know, we live in a world in crypto, we know what happened with FTX there and, and just in finance and just, you know, in, in every line of business and, you know, everything there, there are going to be a lot of people who are just out for money, out for themselves, uh, want to take advantage of situations, want to take advantage of you. And I think some of it just comes from experience. I still lead with trust because that's the way I want to be. And I think that makes me a good investor too, um, to have an open mind. But I'm also very, very, I, I, make sure that before I really trust someone with information um, that that they've earned it. And, and that's by getting to know them over time if I don't know them. Um, and, and I think you have to trust your gut. Um, I, I would say that is probably out of this conversation. <laughs> I'm going to leave, leave uh, people with one, one thing. It is learn to trust your gut. And that means honing your gut over time, making space um, to listen to it. But we, we are gifted um, with, uh, with intuition and, um, and with the craziness of information and life, then we can lose touch with that intuition. Um, but I always make time for myself. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really to listen to, do I really, you know, why do I think this person uh, is trying to take advantage of me? Or why do I think this person is genuine? And, and, and usually that intuition leads to the right answer. Um, and, and I'll tell you, 90, the more successful you are, you know, um, 95 plus percentage of the people are going to want something from you. And it's not necessarily a negative. It's, 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 you know, maybe they want donations for a charity that they're passionate about. Maybe it's, they want, you know, some advice and, and um, some time, but what I try to, you know, 10 minutes of my time, everyone asking for 10 minutes of my time takes away from my life and what I've built and what I can contribute back in the larger scheme of things. And, and so I think it's important to also protect your time. And then that allows you to be, you know, this better judge of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, boundaries is something that we talk about a lot here because that's one of the things around good girl brainwashing is teaching women that you're not allowed to have boundaries or you're being selfish when you prioritize yourself, your work, your goals, your dreams. And I think that it's really important just highlighting what you said about taking that time for yourself to listen to your own intuition and process the information about people that you've experienced over you know the past whatever amount of time because so many times I've had I've been caught up in the like excitement and the rush and things move so fast in the investment in crypto world and you're like oh yes 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 and then everyone's on the hype train and then if you don't actually take just some time for yourself outside of the echo chamber to hear your own like what your body's telling you then you lose sight like you you miss some information that you otherwise would have known if you had just listened to yourself yeah and you've been in the space for a while i mean we we are in a very fast moving space i mean we're in a fast moving world right we have so much information i think 
um, it's really important to take a step back and realize, you know, any one moment in time is just that. You know, you miss one investment opportunity, there will be another one. Um, you know, it's okay to sleep, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay to, to take time out. It's okay to go on a vacation. Um, uh, because if you're good at what you do, that one moment in time is not going to make or break your career or your ability to support yourself. And, and so that again, comes from that confidence in, in yourself, um, and, and knowing that, you're worth it to take that time out and that will help, you know, that'll make you a better person no matter what happened during that moment in time that you took away from the world. Um, I wanted to go back briefly and just touch upon your um, ballet career because as a gymnast myself, I know that one of the greatest things that the sport taught me was mental strength and the ability to fall and get back up again, no matter how hard or how painful it is. And I can see how that's really served me as an entrepreneur and an investor. So how, you know, take, take me back to that time. And then how does that translate into the work you do today? Part of uh, what happened when, when we moved to the U S my mom was asking neighbors, you know, what do American girls do? Um, Because they hadn't grown up um, in the United States and small town. And and so one of the neighbors had put her in ballet class and, Somehow I really, you know, took to it and became quite a serious dancer growing up. And one of the things I loved about it um, was that it was constant challenge with myself, right? Like, could I lift my leg higher? And, and like you said, that mental fortitude of like setting this goal. And this was physical as well as mental, right, of saying like, I'm going to do it. This is my goal. And it's, it's, and I'm going to will my leg to do something it's not meant to do. And, um, and, and just throughout my, you know, ballet career, that, that strength of, and I think it also gave me a lot of confidence of, you know, something that looks impossible is actually achievable with, with, the right mental attitude. And, um, and, and that is something that's, followed me my whole career when I started the fund, when I got into, you know, before when I got into the internet and you know, I left investment banking to get into the internet in 1996, people thought I was nuts to do that, you know, but, but it, it's this like, okay, this looks impossible. This looks like it's not going to happen, but I believe it will. Um, and, and with my fund, I willed it into existence. It was very hard to raise that first fund. Um, uh, so, so it's, it's just given, I mean, it's made all the difference though, that, you know, that ballet training, um, because I was just surrounded otherwise, um, by, by naysayers of, you know, I, I didn't look like everyone else. I, you know, I, love to write and, and, you know, and, you know, India, was like, why are you writing? You should be doing math. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's just, I, I was just so different. And, and ballet was my, my space where I, I could really be with myself and explore my, my, my limitations or lack of, you know, limitations. And, and so it, it was just so crucial. The amount of mental fortitude it takes to raise a fund as a woman of color, you know, first time fund, especially, you know, I, I want to go back to that first fund that you were raising in this environment where 
um, I was reading the stats, like $103 trillion in the asset management space and women manage less than like, I think less than 2%. It was like 1.3% of $103 trillion. And so, I mean, it's still barely moving now, but when you started, it's like 10 times harder. Right. And so like, what, what was that like? And just take us back to that experience. Yeah. So I went in with this thesis that, you know, I, I believe that early stage investing. So I invest when when there's just teams of anywhere from one to five people uh, working on a, an idea. Um, uh, and I believed that early stage investing should be more global. I, I had worked around the world. I had a network around the world. It, that was kind of the first strike against me that wasn't really done 10 years ago. Um, another thing is I started the fund on my own. And, and they're just of any gender, you know, there were not that many solo fund uh, managers out there, especially in New York, where I was I was based at the time. Um, and and the third um, was that I was a woman in a very male dominated environment, focusing on a sector, you know, Bitcoin, crypto, blockchain, uh, that was not associated with women at all. Um, it was associated with Wall Street, finance, tech guys, you know, so many people. And and these include mentors, you know, people I had considered mentors or, you know, kind of trusted advisors told me, you just, you're not going to be able to do this. You um, maybe you should just, you you should start a fund focused on e-commerce because people associate e-commerce with women. And, you know, you can show that you have expertise in that because you're, you're a woman. <laughs> never mind that, you know, I never invested in e-commerce before. I mean, I was at Intel, I invest in semiconductors and software and, but, you know, none of that mattered. It, it almost didn't matter what I had done before. Um, and, and that was a big uh, realization for me because, you know, I have this attitude, like I've said, that I can set my mind um, uh, and achieve anything if I set my mind to it. And and here I was surrounded by people that I thought were supporters just saying, it just, you're not going to be able to do this or you're throwing away your career. Um, but I went back to that belief and intuition and I believed that the sector was going to grow. I believed so much in the entrepreneurs that I met uh, who were building. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to give them money. Um, and and to be in a sector so nascent, I had gotten that that exposure in the early days of the internet, but I hadn't had the confidence yet to really, you know, put my own money to work or, or put a stake in the ground. I, I did, you know, I did switch careers, but, but this to me was, you know, second time I'm, I'm, I'm in my life. I I'm being kind of shown a pathway to the future. And this time I really, I, I have this experience and I, I want to start this fund and I want to support these entrepreneurs and I want to do it my way in, in a way that I thought not only my way, but I thought was a fundamentally better way than anybody else out there doing it. And, and so, um, so yeah, it was lonely. You know, it was a very, very tough path, but, but I was also surrounded by incredible 
entrepreneurs, you know, who, who just believed in a better world. And, and that was kind of what sustained me, the ability to invest in them, to be around them. And I kind of lost sight of or, or lost touch with a lot of people uh, from my earlier venture days. I mean, they're all back, <laughs> you know, um, uh, but, but uh, you know, for a good, I'd say 2013 to 17, when we saw a crypto boom, those were really insular years, but also special years. Mm. And what made you get into crypto so early? What did you see early on that other people didn't? Well, I, I think it, it goes back to being different and having a different perspective. Having been born in, in Kenya, being Indian, going back to these regions, you know, in the 80s before, I mean, when there weren't, there definitely weren't mobile phones, but there, there weren't uh, really even TVs. And I remember um, going back to my dad's ancestral village in, in 1982 in India and it took like, you know, 10 hours to get there because we had so many flat tires because the roads weren't paved. And um, we got there and there are like 12 people living in, in a hut in the middle of like nowhere and no communication, like no phones, nothing. Right. Uh, but they had a radio. And when we left and back then, when we go to these countries, we bring pens. There are certain things you bring because they didn't have easy access to these things. Batteries was the other thing we would bring in our suitcases. And, and, and so they didn't want any money. They, they had the light, you know, they had enough as far as they were concerned, but they wanted that. Like they were so thankful to have batteries for their radio because that was their connectivity to the rest of the world. So that's, that stuck with me. And that's why I got into the internet because I thought there is this mechanism, this technology for anyone anywhere in the world to, to log on and get information and connect with each other. So I think that's a very human need. Now, through all my years of investing, uh, what still had bothered me a lot, and that's why I did a lot of financial technology investing you know, a lot of the world was still unbanked um, and, and didn't have access to bank accounts. People couldn't save money. They couldn't store their money other than in a mattress. And, and the reason that was is, you know, it's inefficient for most banks to reach all these people. And, and mobile phones started letting us do that. But then crypto enable and, and Bitcoin enables uh, people to transact with each other without having a bank in the middle of that. And why that matters is, you know, banks keep putting fees on. They decide who they want as a client. If you don't have enough money, you can't open a bank account. You don't have credit history, you can't open a bank account. But all of a sudden, here's a way for people to, to transfer money to each other uh, without, without high fees um, and then also store it. Uh, now, I'm not advocating that everyone should go out and buy Bitcoin, but, but this technology allows us to put assets, um, you know, not necessarily in banks, but on this chain, um, this information, this ledger, you know, just like Internet information through technology, we, we can now create assets that people can invest in. So a stock that someone can't invest, like if they're sitting in Kenya, they can't invest in the U.S. stock market. 
But but through this technology, there uh, in the future there will be ways to have access to the the U.S. stock market, and and because it's a cheaper mechanism to do so. So you know we're not going to get into the weeds of that, but I thought it just opened up more possibilities for people to have access um, to investing, uh, and um, and it you know, similar to the way people were able to have access to information uh, through the internet. Mm. And so you had that thesis back in 2013. (laughs) And how was that received by people? No one understood it. I mean, the only people that frankly understood it were these you know, women on the ground in Kenya, and I keep bringing up Kenya because they start, they, they were kind of at the forefront of uh, digital money and mobile banking. Um, they, they came up with the first mobile banking system in the world um, well before the U.S. Uh, did. And, and so uh, I would say uh, the, the grandmother there who was already transacting with her phone understood it more than Silicon Valley venture capitalists because they saw the need or how it had transformed their life. Whereas, you know, in the U.S., we have bank accounts. Um, you know, so, so I, I think it was that worldview, um, uh, and and it, the people who responded were also like people in Argentina who had hyperinflation, uh, Zimbabwe, you know, where the government controlled um, what their money was worth, whereas Bitcoin, you know, uh, a, a, is, is self-sovereign. It's not run by a bank uh, or it's not run by a government. And so um, that value fluctuates according to true demand, not what the government wants, you know, that demand to be. So, so I, I feel like, you know, it was it was people outside of the U.S. that understood it. Now, those weren't my target investors in the fund. So the target investors just thought, you know, this was just being used for money laundering and evading taxation, all these nefarious things, which, frankly, you know, people used to say the Internet was just going to be used for porn. You know, I remember those days and and people said, like, you know, we're never going to watch movies through the Internet. I mean, we have televisions. Why would we do that? You know, why would we send an email when we can pick up a phone? Um, and, And so I just remember all those stories in the early days of the Internet. And, and so I had the same sort of resistance um, this time around. But, um, you know, I just so believe the world needed this technology um, and that we were early, you know, just like 1995, 1996 Internet. Um, and it was an opportunity to help shape the future. So it, it really seems like what you saw was the need versus what people see today. And, you know, when we look mainstream and we hear about crypto and we're not informed about it, it just seems like hype by crypto bros, right? And it's not actually, we don't hear about how it actually can address a need outside of our, you know, first world problems. Yes. Yes. And, and, and that's, um, and, and to, to be fair, look, we, we're highly underbanked in, in the United States. And it's, it's actually getting worse now that we have this, you know, regional banking crisis. And, and so I think this impacts everyone, uh, you know, around the world, including in the US, uh, we've seen a lot of inflation. 
from the government policies here in the U.S. So, you know, I, I, I also think we, um, uh, you know, with this concept of accredited investors here, right, that, you know, only certain people who make a certain amount of money can invest in, say, you know, venture capital or startups. And, and so I think it's important that people have the ability to invest in, like, say, you know, you go to a coffee shop down the street and you, you not only want to support them um, by giving them a loan potentially, but you also can maybe make some money um, from from your patronage of, of, of that. And, and so this technology allows these kind of micro transactions to potentially occur. So, so I think even in the United States, you know, the NFTs, the creator economy, we can go directly, we can have an artist go directly to their their community and their audience, find a global audience, um, be supported by them, and then provide, you know, loyalty rewards back to them without having to go through, you know, having to be a Starbucks or having to be a major music label. So I, I do think if you look at the way the world is headed and the amount of people who are interacting with each other and and, you know, that we can't rely on necessarily pensions and, you know, traditional investments or a lot of people don't have access to some of those investments that this can open up you know, better livelihoods for, for everyone. So, you know, uh, and, and so it is, um, I think it's, it's something that people are starting to realize more given, you know, especially post COVID and the world we've lived in post COVID. Um, but those are some of the larger kind of trends I was seeing in the world and even in the U S. Um, and, and that's, part of what being an early stage investor is, is really not thinking about today, not even thinking about tomorrow, not thinking about next week. Um, it's thinking two to five to 10 years out. And, and, you know, what are these macro things happening? And that goes back to all the travel I've done. Um, you know, and I always tell people, you need to take vacations, you need to explore, you need to do things outside of work, because that's when you see these broader trends. You, you see what's going on. You know, how are people using their money? How are people using their phones? Um, and it's not us in our bubbles. It's how, you know, how are people outside of uh, our bubbles doing all of that? Then how would you respond to some of the pushback? I mean, the whole point is that we're removing the middleman, right? But then we have things like FTX. And then we have, you know, all of these, again, these large, now they're becoming institutions themselves, right? These crypto companies that are still taking fees. And so it's almost like a new generation <laughs> of people who are who are becoming middlemen. Absolutely. And, and I think we're in this transition phase. And this is why I think it's so important to have uh, diversity. Um, and this is not just, gender diversity it's it's diversity of geography it's it's of experience um of people getting involved in any early stage technology and that is why i've just been so passionate about you know trying to educate more people around the potential of this technology and not just what we hear in the news. Um, and frankly i mean a lot of these institutions are just recreating finance with slightly better efficiencies or now you can, you know, access these cryptocurrencies and speculate and then drive the price up and drive it down. But there's so much more to all of this than that. 
FTX, frankly, was just outright fraud. I mean, we've seen it since money was created, I'm sure. You know, it was just greed and 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 it was um, you know, a young white guy who said the right things and um, was able to get away with it. And we've seen that throughout history and we will continue to see that. Now, what we need is more people at the table, more different types of companies that up and, and get funded to that same extent. Um, and, and then, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely start to see some of the real potential of this technology beyond just, you know, recreating the existing financial system. And I, I think that's starting to happen. Um, it, it's just, that's not what the media focuses on, you know, and, and that's unfortunate. What should women do to get involved, you know, outside of starting a Coinbase account and investing in Bitcoin? Well, I, I think there's a lot more information out there uh, about uh, about this technology. Uh, I mean, I would say, you know, the Bitcoin white paper is a very accessible um, uh, paper. It's it's not that long and, you know, just talks about that this whole concept of this, you know, decentralized money system. And I alluded to it, but, you know, there are a lot of these buzzwords that people throw around, but, but a lot of this is just fundamentally, like if you are a human being interacting, like, you know, you, you will understand it. And, and I think it's, it's important to not be intimidated by these buzzwords um, because that's just a way to keep it, you know, inaccessible. Um, and, and I would say, um, you know, there are events, local events. Um, look, I spent my whole life putting myself in uncomfortable situations. Um, and I think women need to feel comfortable doing that. I've been the only woman walking into a Bitcoin conference, um, you know, like, and I'm sure you have to, you know, it, it's, it's, you need to be comfortable doing that. And, and, and even last night I was at an event and, you know, I, uh, the, the person I was supposed to go with uh, had to cancel last minute. I was there on my own and, you know, I went around talking to people and, and some people didn't want to talk to me and that's okay. And I just, you know, but I eventually found some great new friends and, and uh, you know, people there. So, so I, I think it's, it's, you know, don't be worried about a rejection and putting yourself out there. Uh, or asking questions. Um, and if people don't want to respond, again, that's not a reflection on you or your question. It's it's a reflection on them. And just keep persevering. Um, so there are lots of events. Um, there's information online, although there's a lot of misinformation <laughs> online, too. But I mean, I, I think, you know, look, uh, I haven't written in my blog for a while, but I've tried to write about different use cases that in real estate and in the creator economy and in different ways that we can imagine using some of this technology. And the other thing about investing is you can start investing $10, right? Um, and, and that's the beauty of this. So you, you don't need to have like $1,000 to invest. You can just start playing around with investing $10 and then saying, you know, I'm, I'm read about, I think Bitcoin's going to go up, or I read about this new coin, I'm a little curious. I'd say don't put in more than you can lose, but it's a good way to learn about 
you know, what's impacting that coin, what's, and, and then you become more comfortable. And I, you know, it, it's, it's one of the most accessible um, investment classes right now um, because you don't, you can start with any amount of capital that you want. So, so I say it's a combination of those things and that's how you gain, gain confidence. Um, you know, I did that with the stock market, you know, it's, it's, I'm not always right when I invest in the stock market, it's not what we do out of the fund, but, um, personally, you know, that's how I've made a lot of my capital too, is, is just, um, buying, you know, thinking, look, I think mobile is going to take off in 2004 and I'm going to buy Google and Apple and, but starting with small amounts and then getting more conviction. And, and so, and you're not always going to be right. And it's okay. Yeah. I mean, I think all of it is really around getting comfortable being uncomfortable, right? Whether you're talking about walking into a room and exactly like, I think, especially when you are a woman in these sorts of spaces, there are inevitably those guys who just like look at you and they think deep down, they're like, oh, she has nothing to say. And then they give you that condescending energy and then realizing that again that is just actually their loss and it like it still happens to me and and it's not going to stop happening and a lot of people just assume that you know i'm someone's assistant or you know and then and and the fact that it still happens to me you know it's this is the way it is and this is why we need more people, um, more women um, being in these environments. And, and, um, and I, I, you just can't let it bother you. And, you know, sometimes you, you're privy to information that's really interesting because they think you're not, you know, anyone important. <laughs> yeah. And then also on the investing side, I think it's like even I've been in so many rooms where guys talk so confidently about the th- like the the new coins that they're investing in, you know, the shit coins and they're like, "Oh, we have these trading circles." And then when I actually dig in, I'm like, "Wait, it's the only reason I believed him for a second is because of how confidently he spoke about his like his vision of this coin or the world or and, and the conviction. It's crazy. It, it's true, and I, I've been told uh, many times that you should you know you should you should just say that like you know this one thing is going to go up and 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 the reality is I don't I don't know that I I have I have reasons why I invest in what I do. And I feel just as confident in my decision-making ability as I would in anybody else's, uh, or more so, obviously, because I started my own fund. Um, but, you know, I think anybody who says they 100% know what's going to happen is, is blowing smoke. And, and, um, and, and so, look, I, I think, yes, we can speak more confidently uh, but I think there is uh, also in a, in a market like we have now, which is a very uncertain market. I think people actually appreciate a balanced point of view, um, you know, versus like, you know, in a bull market when everything's going up and people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to believe and they've only seen things go up. But but now um, this is where I think, you know, some our fund is actually going to shine even more uh, during a market like this, uh, because we do look at balanced perspectives. Um, and, um, we have conviction and we invest in long-term conviction. We don't worry about short-term movements. Got it. And so what are the types of companies that are coming into your funnel now that you're excited by going forward? Well, there's a lot of talk about artificial intelligence now. And, um, 
our original thesis back in 2013 and 14 was actually the intersection of artificial intelligence, blockchain, and internet of things. And, and so I'll back up there a little bit. We have so much data that we're creating, right? Uh, every time we click on a website, every time we look at um, something on our phone, you know, everything's pretty much being tracked. And so I took that theme, right, of, of what's happening out there. And, and you have billions more people around the world coming online who have access to smartphones because they're cheaper. They, you know, they didn't have access uh, even three, four years ago. So smartphones collect way more data than, you know, our, the older you know, cell phones, the feature phones. So I just saw more and more data collection happening. Now, not, and it's not only our devices, it's we have smart refrigerators, you know, we have all these smart lights. I mean, all of that data is also being collected. And that's the internet of things, right? So, um, so I felt like not, we have to figure out a way to keep this data safe, secure, also be able to transact with it, right? Um, like if the refrigerator wanted to speak to, I don't know, my cell phone, right? Like, we don't need an intermediary for, or we don't want an intermediary. So we're talking about the middleman, right? Uh, this is where blockchain comes in, being able to transact data, not just money, but also data. So, um, so it's this combination of we have to analyze the data, we have to route it, uh, we have to transact with it. And, and that was the overall thesis of the fund. Now, that was not something that I, I'd actually stopped trying to explain it 10 years ago. Because it was just nobody, you know, people just looked at me like I was from Mars, and, you know. Uh, and, and so um, uh, along those lines, we're now finally seeing this, you know, companies at this intersection of this. So, you know, we, we invested in, in a company called Aletheia, which uh, really smart ethical team that cares about ethical artificial intelligence, right? The fact that um, all we're going to have so much fake data out there because of AI or fake videos, right? We can now create these videos that never existed uh, just by typing in prompts. Um, what they do is, is allow us to, to, um, uh, to train our own data sets and store them and then permission them out. Um, and, and so that to me is an exciting company at that intersection of artificial intelligence and blockchain, because the data is stored on a blockchain and the way you're able to permission it out is because it exists on that blockchain and only you have access to your, your data. Um, I'm also seeing some, you know, exciting new, um, you know, I talked about these new assets that can be created like you know, fractionalized assets if I want to invest in the coffee shop down the street. Um, there's a lot of interesting um, kind of asset creation happening in some of the emerging markets. Um, and, and so we're, we're looking at uh, investing in a few companies, um, you know, in places like um, uh, different places in Latin America, uh, Africa, India, is, is, is another region where they've just overtaken um, China in terms of population. It's a democracy, uh, huge technical talent, huge growth 
you know, and, 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 um, and, uh, access to technology and internet access, um, smartphone access. Uh, so, so we're, um, we're actually seeing more than ever, um, you know, more investable opportunities than ever, uh, despite the downturn. So I, I think it just bodes well for all of us. Yeah. And so how do you, how do you make a decision as an investor, you know, with all of these different opportunities, like what is, what is that process for you to go from, this is such an interesting concept idea to, okay, now we're ready to put in a significant check into the company. So one of the challenges of of being an early stage investor, when you're ahead of the curve, you can be too ahead. Um, and, and, uh, you know, I think every investor, whether you're investing you know, personally, or you're a professional investor, you have to look at the time frame uh, of that investment. So, you know, when I was younger, personally, I had a longer time horizon on my personal investments. And in terms of, yeah, I can let something sit there for 20, 30 years. I mean, I probably still can do that. But, but, you know, we have different time horizons. Like if I want to buy a house, you know, I have a certain time horizon where I want to make a certain amount of money to be able to buy that house. And, And so I think it's important for any investor to look at that time horizon. Now, for the fund, we are uh, a 10-year, every fund is a 10-year fund. We want to kind of get in and out of our investments um, uh, in a 5 to 10-year period. So we have a longer time horizon than, you know, say, like a hedge fund that may want to get in and out, you know, within weeks or months or, you know, a year. Um, and and so always look at, okay, it can be the greatest technology. I can believe this technology needs to be there in 20 years, but are they going to be able, you know, is the market ready for them in the next five to 10 years? And so that is an assessment that, so it, that is not about technology. It's about market adoption and market readiness. Um you know, do we think people are going to want to buy a fractionalized piece of their coffee shop? I mean, just because we can do that, does that mean that people actually will do it or have a desire, the time, aptitude or interest in, in doing so? So um, so we look at that time horizon. The team is paramount because especially in new technology, ideas are going to change and pivot and, you know, uh, what may be an opportunity today may shift a little bit. And, and so you need entrepreneurs that, um, that so you're not just backing this one idea, you're backing them and their ability to morph that idea if they need to. Uh, you don't want them to change constantly, right? It's, it's a fine line, but it becomes so much about, about the entrepreneur. And, and trust is, um, you know, people often ask, why didn't you invest in FTX? I didn't get I didn't get to spend time with Sam. I, I mean, I've met him, but we we really need to spend time with the entrepreneurs we invest in. Now, if that's over Zoom, uh, that's fine. But we are partners. We are giving them capital, um, and we're taking capital from our investors. So so we need to feel that these entrepreneurs will be good stewards of, of our capital. And one of the ways, you know, there are no shortcuts of just interacting with people. And, and it's, again, back to that gut and intuition and, and making sure that you feel good about this person or this team. 
Um, and, and, and the third is really more, you know, we have the ability, we invest in 30, 40 companies per fund. So I want to be passionate and excited about what the team is doing. And that's where the impact comes in. I, I got into this sector uh, because I believe that it can create a more equitable world where more people can um, make a better living for themselves. And, and so that's the lens through which our investments are. Now, the other things all have to be there. And we look at at least a 10x return for each of our investments. Now, that doesn't mean they're all going to return that. But I want to be able to see if I invest, let's say, a $5 million valuation, you know, I mean, I would hope that it would at least be 50, but mostly in the hundreds, right? That's what that's what we try uh, to get back for our investors. And, and so you have some that do, you have others that vastly exceed them, and you have others that, that are in that range. And that's, that's how you get to your returns. And, and, and so um, that, that is an important piece. So it can be, you know, a very impactful business, but if we can't see that, that growth trajectory, it's likely not for our fund. Got it. I mean, this has been super informative and I have so many more questions, <laughs> but um, I know that, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into investing and obviously this is, um, is this, this is your third fund, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so what, what are some of the lessons, like the most important lessons you've learned from your first fund to your second fund to your third fund right now? Wow. You know, I'm always learning. Um, I, I, I would say, you know, some ways this technology um, has grown way more than I could have imagined, you know, 10 years ago. But what you can't ever get away from, and it's always a good reminder, is these cycles and, and human greed. So we, you know, a lot of these coins, there's just so much speculation. And then we, you know, we talk about FTX and the greed and, you know, some of this, no matter how much great technology you create or how many tools you give people, there's going to be people who, you know, often the earliest people in, in a technology will be those speculators. Um, and I saw it with the internet and I, you know, it's been reinforced through these cycles we've seen with crypto over the last 10 years. So that exists. Look, I, I also think we're, we're making progress in terms of at least there's a conversation about diversity. Um, there, there was none. I couldn't even really talk about being a female fund manager 10 years ago. Um, and, and, and now there's, there's real conversation about, you know, how it impacts returns and how it impacts the world we live in. Um, and, and how, you know, we, I, I have mostly male investors in my fund and I'm mostly the only female, you know, fund manager they've invested in just because there's so few of us and, uh, they've actually noticed, um, you know, uh, like our return to French and I haven't even had to point any of that out. Um, and they've noticed how I invest differently and, and now, there are not enough women doing this, so we can't say it's because I'm a woman. But but I do believe some of it is is because I'm a woman and I'm an immigrant and you know all these other things. Um, so the importance of diversity uh, to to achieve you know good returns, I think, is finally and being talked about. But but we need to go even further there. So. 
Um, I say we made some progress, not as much as I'd like to see overall um, in terms of the amount of dollars coming um, to to women. Uh, but but that's certainly something I will continue to work on, uh, you know, uh, and 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 talk about because it's it's important. And are, do you see enough women building? companies in this space? Have you invested in any female founders? We have invested in female founders and some of our most successful companies have been uh, female-led. Um, well, one is uh, BitPeso, which is now called Aza Finance, um, founded by a, a woman. They are growing kind of exponentially first to look at how this blockchain technology could be used for more efficient um money transfer in Africa and in and out of Africa. So, um, you know, often it, be, between countries uh, uh, in Africa, it costs up to 30% of a transaction uh, to transfer money. And they brought it down to 2 to 3% just by using blockchain infrastructure. So, so they've been uh, growing. Um, that was a 2014 investment. Uh, another woman that we invested in was actually the, you know, one of the early, early women in, in the sector. Um, she, Catherine Nicholson, started Block Cipher and talk about, you know, these these blockchain nodes. You know, it's, it's all these different computers around the world that verify transactions and they help kind of run those and route transactions. And they were really the first company to, to, to do that across different types of um, uh, coins and, and cryptocurrencies. And so, so we have, but I, I have to say, I, I, I don't see enough women um, uh, building in the space. And I, I feel like um, it's, it's almost less and less. And, and that's why I think it's really important um, to not look at, say, the FTXs of the world and say that's what the industry is about. There's so much more and there's so much impact and, and, and we need different perspectives to build businesses. So, so um, I, I, I just want to see more, you know, uh, I do see women entering larger companies and some of them are spinning off and starting companies, but just want to see more women get engaged and, and have these conversations. And, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we'll, we'll hear less about, FTX and Sam Bankman Freed and hear more about, you know, the Elizabeth, uh, the Rosiello's, uh, Bitpesa and Catherine Nicholson's, um, you know, who are, who are truly building on this technology and having positive impact. Amazing. Um, any last words of advice that you'd want to give to someone, uh, a woman who's thinking about investing or even starting her own fund, you know, getting more seriously into the space? Yeah, I, I would say do it. Now, Now, starting a fund's not easy. <laughs> um, and I, I would say, you know, there's nothing wrong um, with the path I took, which was I was at different funds. I was at Corporate Venture, at Intel Capital. I was at a public-private partnership um, that, that did some impact-oriented investments. I was at Omidyar. Um, learn different ways and different styles of investing. And I think, you know, sometimes these days, and this kind of goes against some of the advice, <laughs> which is kind of just to do it, but, but it's also there's, there's value to being young and learning. Because when you're in your 20s, that's really when you have time to learn. 
um, I mean, I'm constantly learning, but there's expectations of what I've learned. And, and I, you know, but, but it's because I invested that time in my 20s to do that, um, that, that allows me to do what I've done. And, and so I, I'd say, look at your career, um, look at where, you know, your skills, where you'd like to improve your skill sets. I went into investment banking after college because I was a writer and a ballet dancer. And I was like, I want to learn more about finance and corporate finance. And, and, and I knew that was a gap that, and where else in 1994 to do it than on Wall Street. Um, and, and so I think it's okay to, to take a step back and say, I want to you know, I want to learn this better. And I, you know, I want to devote the next two years or three years to honing this skill set. Um, but otherwise, if you feel like you're ready, you know, do it. And, and the investing, I, I think the sooner you start to invest, the more comfortable you become with it, with taking risks, knowing what your risk tolerance is. Just because I have a high risk tolerance doesn't mean you should. And I think, you know, knowing your own boundaries around risk, um, you learn over time. I can sleep at night taking a lot of risk. A lot of, you know, people can't. And it doesn't matter what gender you are. They're just men who can't. They're women who can't. And and so the, the sooner you start exploring that and investing small amounts, the more you'll realize how comfortable you are with losing money. You know, I mean, you have to lose money to make money or you have to invest money to make money. And, and, and there's no right answer. It's, it's being comfortable. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to get started. I love that. I mean, there's so much more that I want to ask you, and I'm sure we'll we'll have to bring you on for a part two at some point. I love this, and I love what you're doing, uh, and I'm so excited to connect with your audience. Thank you. Last question for you is, what does it mean to you to be a bad bitch? To me, being a bad bitch is being who you are and not apologizing for it. I love it. Well, we are all about being unapologetically ourselves here at the Bad Bitch Empire. And so, Jalik, we're so grateful for your time, your wisdom, and your continued work in this space and encouraging and empowering more women to be a part of this change in the the new society that we are building. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode, take a screenshot, tag me at Lisa Carmen Wang, and make sure you check out thebadbitchempire.com for events, courses, and other cool shit. Thanks for tuning in to The Bad Bitch Empire. <laughs>